This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey, this is Morgan Lee. I'm an assistant editor for Christianity Today, and you're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week, we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event. Today, we will be talking about how the Christian persecution advocacy group Open Doors has now released its annual list of 15 countries that calculate and determine where it's hardest to be a Christian for this given year. Hey, Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about who our guest is? Our guest is David Curry. He's the uh, president of Open Doors USA and the CEO. Uh, Open Doors, if you aren't familiar with it, it has been around for some 60 years, working uh, in the world's most oppressive countries, empowering and equipping persecuted Christians, actually in more than 60 countries, 60 years in 60 countries now. So it's one of the most impressive organizations on the planet. So I'm really happy that we were able to get David to come. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a great honor. David, are you calling us from the USA? I, I am calling you from the USA. I, I occasionally do bounce around to other places, but today I'm in the nation's capital where you, we have met with folks from the Trump transition team yesterday. And then, of course, we released our World Watch list today and had um, some folks from the State Department and Congress there as well. Um, and, of course, um, we really want to get in touch with our nation's policymakers, help them to be aware of what's going on around the world, and to connect with the human side of this world watch list, the effect it's having not just on policy, on terrorism and so forth, but on real lives around the world. So, um, you know, you guys put together this really, really ambitious list. And some of the questions that we'll be asking you are going to kind of help our listeners better understand the list, the methodology that is included, why, you know, the methodology that goes into creating this list and why some countries are included or not included. But to give everyone an overview. So each year, Open Doors creates this list of the top 50 countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. This list examines the pressures faced by Christians in five spheres of life. So the private spheres, family, community, national, and church. And it also includes levels of religiously motivated violence. So Christianity Today, us, we have the full list for this year on our website, as well as lists going back to previous years. So you guys can take a look in case there's anything that we don't go in depth enough on here. For this year, um, in the third year in a row, the modern persecution of Christians worldwide has hit another record high, according to Open Doors methodology. And Islamic extremism continues to be a key factor in violence against Christians. Another factor that's been really important this year is ethnic nationalism, which is something that often occurs in Asian countries with Hindu and Buddhist populations, including India, which we recently did a big cover story on. I'm just going to share the top 10 countries for this year. So the first one is North Korea, followed by Somalia, Afghanistan, and Pakistan, then Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, and Eritrea. So Mark, uh, did you have a, a gut check? Yeah, my gut check when this list comes out, which and it does come out annually, and I'm it's just deeply grateful it does. On the one hand, it's uh, 
a sense of sadness that this sort of thing uh, is going on in the world, a sense of deep sadness at the scope of it. Here we're talking about 50 countries where this is happening. Uh, on the other hand, I will have to say that I'm glad when I hear the news of this list coming out because I do think it's really important for Christians especially to be aware of the fate of their brothers and sisters across the world. I mean, I was watching the national playoff game in college and the, the, the hype leading up to the game made it sound like it was the most important thing a person could imagine that this football game was about to take place. And it is a fun game. I watched it. But uh, it's good for us to remember it's just a football game, and there are real people out in all parts of the world that are suffering, especially for us Christians. Uh, this list is a great way to remind us of their state. My gut check was just kind of wanting to know more about this ethnic nationalism. I don't know if you can have a gut check to the facts that come out there, but but curiosity, I guess, was my gut check. So Islamic extremism, especially in the Middle East, but also in Nigeria, um, has been something that I know has been a primary driver of violence against Christians. But when I saw this ethnic nationalism, I, I didn't necessarily know what that was and what it was referring to. And so my curiosity was definitely piqued with regards to that. Realizing that this is another, you know, they said for the third year in a row, overall violence against Christians or persecution of Christians has increased. Yeah, that's somewhere else where I'm kind of like, whoa, tell me more. What are the broader trend lines? Um, is there something bigger that's going on in our world that is also kind of fueling this somehow? So, David, um, one thing that I was wondering if we could just start off with is if you could just talk about the methodology that Open Doors uses to create this list. You bet. Well, one of the things that's important for folks to know is that this is a piece of academic work that is done at the grassroots level. And why that makes a difference is that sometimes you'll see reports from polling agencies, even governments, that will go into particular troubled areas and they'll talk to a head bishop, government officials. They're essentially talking to the top crust of elites in a, in a particular country. And it does not give you the sense of what's happening at the ground level. What is it like for the individual in that culture, in that country? So what we do is we uh, collect the data at the grassroots. We talk to individuals, verify stories, incidents of violence, uh, in some cases when people have been martyred. So we're really getting down to the to the the brass tacks of it all. And as you said earlier in your introduction, then we were measuring it not just in terms of violence, because when you have some countries in the world that have total control over the lives of the individuals and how they how they uh, practice their faith, you're not going to have large uh, incidents of violence because there may not even be churches in the country allowed. So you won't have church bombings. So we don't just do it on violence. We're talking about what is it? What is the squeeze like, the everyday pressure uh, for an individual? What happens if they come out and say to their family, I'm a Christian? Uh, will they lose their job? Will they be excommunicated? Will there be mob violence? Uh, is the national police going to raid their house and arrest them for owning a Bible or attending a Bible study? sharing their faith. So we have to measure it on a number of different ways. And then we, we assign points to it. So people understand it's not just one incident. It's not just that you have an overbearing government. It's got to be a number of factors to rise on the list. We've got some specific questions about specific countries and specific interests, but I'd be interested in hearing from you as a person who kind of watches over this really week by week, year by year. I mean, what when you saw this list or as you saw it coming together, what what surprised you? What what got your attention? 
one of the trends that you that that was alluded to earlier is this rise in nationalism, and this is one that we saw coming in some cases, uh, but that was surprising in its scope. And what what essentially this means is there are countries, largely in Asia, is where we're seeing this trend, where radicals within the uh, particular countries are oppressing Christian minorities and doing so under the God and country sort of rally cry. For example, India, where we've seen a massive jump in incidents of violence against Christians. There's a couple of factors here. You have nationalistic uh, government that is, uh, uh, you know, giving a green light to Hindu radicals, extremists, to attack mob violence on churches, tear churches down. Christians have been killed and martyred in some parts of the country. So you have this sort of surge that's happened under President Modi in India. And uh, there's been nothing to stop it. But it's not just India. You have uh, the same kind of thing in Sri Lanka with different um, extremist factors, but all sort of under the banner of we got to be pure Sri Lankan. We must be pure Malaysian. We must be pure Indian. That means anybody who's not a Hindu who doesn't worship Confucianism must be eliminated and kicked out of the country. There's groups in India right now that are trying to rid India of Christians by 2021. They don't even hide it. They post it on, on posters around around the country. And there are millions and millions of Christians in India. So there's a lot of opportunity for violence against uh, in, uh, Indian uh, followers of Jesus. So that nationalism is something that, that was like, wow, okay, we didn't know that was going to be such a major force on the list. And you see uh, India uh, is the most prime example, jumping to 15. One of the, maybe uh, if you could call it silver lining, is these are people who with whom uh, the, our government wants to have good relationship. They're not rogue governments uh, necessarily. So there, there's opportunity for us to have dialogue and discussions with these governments. And hopefully they'll always say the right thing. Hopefully they'll do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the dialogues with the governments, I mean, I have friends who have high contacts in the countries of Vietnam and in China. Uh, and I don't know if you can make a correlation between their work and their getting to know the government officials there and the amount of persecution, but I still notice that Vietnam is number 17 on the list of persecution. China is still number 39. So I'm wondering how, how effective is that conversations at high level? Well, so far, there's been no carrot and stick with the Vietnamese government, with the Indian government, the Chinese government. We're not really bringing this. One of our, our complaints with the Obama administration is that we had not brought this up as a as a, a point of discussion in our trade dialogues. So our government effectively hasn't even asked yet. So, But you're right. The Vietnamese government wants to have good relationship with the United States. We need to make these kinds of basic human rights a condition uh, of free trade, I believe. And uh, I was going to say Uzbekistan, but Vietnam, India, those are great places to start. China is very much pushing a nationalistic agenda. Last week, maybe some of your listeners will remember, President Xi uh, made a statement essentially saying to the Pope, we'll let you have more freedom when you're more Chinese, when you, when you agree to our nationalistic agenda. So they're not hiding their desire to co-opt the Christian 
movement and make it a, an organ of the state and try to get them to sign off and march to the same tune as the communistic government. And that's not going to be possible for a vibrant church to do. Let me ask a question that really it has to do with influencing these countries to treat Christians with more respect. I, I have a good Jewish friend who is stunned that Christians aren't more up in arms about the persecution of their brothers and sisters across the world. He tells me that if one Jewish person is thrown in jail unjustly in some country of the world, the next morning there will be Jewish protesters in front of that country's embassy, marching quietly and peacefully, but making it absolutely clear that they know what has happened and that they do not think it's right and they think there ought to be a change. He wonders, why isn't it that Christians don't do this when they hear of of this sort of thing happening in other countries? And I'm just wondering, as the head of Open Doors, do you think that would be an effective tactic? Is that something we should avoid? Or is that something that you would encourage? I would encourage it. I think it's bad theology, essentially, is at the root of it. People see scriptures that say you're always going to be persecuted and sort of take an a, a intellectual leap to suggest that, therefore, we we have to uh, sit idly by while people are, are executed in prison for their faith, and we can't support them. Um, it's okay to be called by this peculiar thing as a follower of Christ. It's okay to associate yourself with it. And in fact, every believer is given a universal calling. Some people are called to be evangelists, some pastors, you know, you all understand how that works. But every believer is given the universal calling to pray to support those people who are imprisoned in Jesus' name and to let your voices be heard. I, I, it's, it's a scriptural imperative. So I think it's somewhat bad theology. I think it's a self-centeredness as well. Yeah, I just think most people don't realize that the passage in Matthew 25 that we genuinely apply to Christians and non-Christians alike, those who visited me in prison, really the specific context of that particular parable is visiting fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So your point is well made. Part of it may be that because we have a spiritual connection with these people, we think in terms of spiritually helping them. So, you know, you were talking about this example of Jews supporting each other at, at a very like political level and becoming, politi- you know, organizing politically. Christians may not necessarily think of organizing politically when it comes to just some of the, let's look at the, the attacks in Egypt that happened last month of, of actually showing up at the Egyptian embassy. Now, that is not to say that when it comes to some of these pastors who haven't been imprisoned, people haven't organized. The American Center of law and justice, when they take on some of these pastoral cases, they will often encourage people to respond politically, you know, talk to the government, write to the government. But I just wonder if, if, if showing up at the embassy and showing the protest isn't something that just comes as naturally when people are thinking of what to do. No, it definitely doesn't come naturally. And that's what shocks my Jewish friend. I think uh, our guest has has said it well. Uh, We tend to overly spiritualize it in the sense that we say, well, of course, we're supposed to be persecuted. We'll pray for them, that they'll be faithful. But loving your neighbor might include, certainly includes praying for them, uh, writing letters of support to any Congress uh, people or our president. But it might include actually getting off of our butts and getting to an embassy and making our voices known through that visual symbol. Here's here's a lens, the uh, filter that I think is helpful in the scriptural sense. It says, hey, think of these people as your brothers and sisters. Now, I have a brother. If my brother was uh, in prison for his faith, trust me, I would not be passive, right? Uh, so at the very least, when you start to look at it through that filter, you realize how passive the American church has been. It's an indict. This list, in a sense, unfortunately, is an indictment of how out of touch we are. We've got to wake up. 
And if I had the feeling and thought in all of the, my travels that the American church was praying, at least praying for the persecuted believers, I would feel much better than I do. I just don't think that happens on a wide scale. I know there are individual uh, exceptions and there are many people that pray, but if if we look deep at the at the statistical evidence and you see how seldom this comes up uh, on a Sunday morning, um, it, it's it's something for us to be very sober about. As editor of Christianity Today, we try to feature stories of, of the persecuted church as much as we can. But one thing we con- are concerned about uh, is what we call reader fatigue. If uh, we could report a story every single day, many times a day, about what's happening across the world, and we know if we did that, our readers would start to roll their eyes and just say, oh, it's just another story of persecution. I want to read something more positive. What are your suggestions for journals or churches or church leaders in trying to combat this uh, persecution fatigue, I guess is what you could call it. I'm sympathetic to it, of course, because open doors, we, we are in the in the spot of having to, to give people bad news. <laughs> All the time, 24-7, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, So, but, but here's what I think really enlivens the discussion, and that is when you talk about real people, when you talk about the drama of what it is like to be a follower of Jesus in North Korea. I mean, it is dramatic. It's real. And I think that that is not just news. What we're reporting today is news. And when incidents happen, unfortunately, most of the time people hear about it. It isn't an incident, you know, something, somebody has been hurt. But there's there's amazing stories of human beings, what's happening. There's stories of redemption that I think for believers uh, that are happening in, in the persecuted world that I think give us great hope uh, and I think would, would encourage people. The revival that's happening in Syria through Syrian Muslims, uh, through the Syrian church in the midst of the most difficult stretch, you know, certainly in their history, I, I dare say, uh, is is heartening. I mean, the Lebanese believers who have every right to be angry, I suppose, if you think of it in terms of their ethnic issues with Syrians, are reaching out to Syrians, um, uh, refugees, Muslims, and Christians, loving them, caring for them. People are coming to know Jesus. It's not in a tent meeting. There's not a revival setting as we would know it, but it is a revival, and it's it's powerful. So these kinds of things, I think people are interested in them. And I think we talk about people, talk about real life, talk about what God's doing. I think that helps us to give context to the bad news, if you want to put it that way. Um, I just want to take a moment to point out that this podcast, Quick to Listen, is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. As Mark was saying, we definitely try our best to cover what's going on in the church around the world. And definitely when it includes persecution to report on that as well. We have some future work that we're doing on Cambodia, and we also had a recent cover story on India, which is definitely worth your time. So I invite you all to subscribe, and you'll get 10 issues per year for $10. And you can do that by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. It's orderct.com slash quick to listen. Your support really helps us keep this show going. So thank you so much. Let's get back to the discussion. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. 
Get started today at preachingtoday.com. You know, within global Christianity, there are more than 40,000 denominations that are out there. Does Open Doors have a stance or posture on who gets to be considered a Christian? You know, I think we've got a, a way of approaching it that I think is, is helpful for people to, to understand. And that is essentially what we're saying is that wherever there are people who are persecuted for the name of Jesus, regardless of their denomination, if they're Orthodox, if they're Evangelical, Baptist, Assemblies of God, we want to support them. So we don't take a theological tact in this, only insofar as to say we want people people who are under pressure for their faith. There are lots of people that are caught in ethnic conflicts, tribal issues, but we're trying to specify when are people uh, being hurt, imprisoned, harassed for their faith in Jesus. That's how we approach this. And it's really given us insight into all kinds of traditions that are happening. Sometimes people in the West might look at an Orthodox believer in Egypt and say, wow, you guys do your services a bunch uh, different than than we would. And they, they really ask themselves, where is your faith? What is your faith based on? And then again, you see that they're that they're losing their life uh, for their faith. And they just come from different traditions, different background, different history. So we're, we're not trying to sort it out on that basis, only just to support people who are being called by the name of Jesus. And I think in this day and age where you have this swing of nationalism all across the board, where everybody wants just their tribe and only their tribe and everybody else is crazy, I think that's refreshing. We rally around the name of Jesus, the essentials of the name of Jesus, that they're saved by faith in Jesus alone. I think that's where we have to pull together. So just to confirm then, so like Catholics are included on this list? Yes, absolutely. I'm wondering if you can share about how you guys do get this information from grassroots level and what kind of what the reporting apparatus looks like. Well, it looks like a network of pastors, Christians, uh, academics that are in these particular regions. Then we look at incidents uh, that have happened. We cross-reference them with news media, uh, the government agencies where possible, and and bring the data together. So it's a number of factors, uh, surveys that are done uh, to try to understand the cultures, uh, the forces, and and how it's applied in the, uh, in individual lives. Now, in some cases, that's really tricky. Um, other places, not so much. North Korea, Somalia, very difficult to get data. And here's how we resolve that. What you see on the world watch list is just the information we could validate. So the fact that North Korea is at the top of the list, despite the fact that we really can't get all of the information out of the labor camps where 70,000 are imprisoned for their faith, there's a lot that we're not verifying there. What we can verify has put them at the top of the list. Yeah. So that's really important then that you have these other sources corroborating and a certain amount of fact checking then that goes into it. That's right. No guesswork. North Korea is a tough spot. Now, and Somalia is number two by just a point. And in North Korea, you, you'll be arrested if you own the Bible. You'll be put in a labor camp. You may well lose your life. In Somalia, if there's a hint that you've converted, you may be beheaded. 
So justice is swift. It's random in some ways. So it's a different kind of violence. It's number two, but it's exceptionally difficult for for a believer there. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, a couple weeks ago, I put together our CT's most read persecution stories of the year, and Russia was actually the topic that our readers were most interested in, but I did not see Russia on this list. Well, what it means is that Russia is not in the top 50, Um, but you're correct in that there are troubling things. There are troubling things that we could probably, we could certainly put together, and we've talked about it in our research units. Should we do a list of the top 75? How about the top 100? At any point, um, you're going to have a cutoff. But what's happening in Russia is a good example of uh, a number of things. You have a nationalism. The government uh, gives uh, a lot of privilege to Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox churches. The Russian government, frankly, and Putin, uh, Mr. Putin is is uh, well aware of the World Watch List. They distribute it to all of their embassies and, and want to make sure that Russian Orthodox churches, no matter where they are, have freedom and people are defended. So they understand this. On the other hand, they discriminate church to church. If Orthodox believers feel like evangelical churches are threat to them, there have been issues there. That's reminiscent of what has happened in the past. We see a rise in that uh, sort of troubling behavior, this nationalistic uh, taking over of the church and trying to make it uh, just us and no more kind of thing, in addition to a bunch of other things. So in some of these countries, there is the unfortunate situation where one group of Christians might be persecuting another group. The reality is, yeah, that happens. Orthodox believers persecuting evangelical churches, that happened for uh, many, many years in Egypt. Then uh, they started to pull together when the Muslim Brotherhood began attacking all of them. So does this help uh, help me understand why Mexico is on this list? I don't think of it as a country that experiences persecution, but I do know in the past uh, evangelicals have been deeply persecuted in places like Oaxaca and other regions. Right. No, in this case, Mexico is on the list because of the drug cartels attacking pastors and priests uh, who are speaking out against the drug trade. So this is wow. in particular in, in one or two very troubled regions where the drug cartels are uh, attacking, killing, I think, a dozen pastors. Pastors were killed in one particular region last year for standing up and saying in their community, don't be part of what this drug trade is doing. Uh, So, yeah, like 98 percent of people or whatever it is are Catholic or Protestant in Mexico. That's a separate issue here. This is drug cartel violence against the church, because a lot of times the church is the first to stand up against organized crime and organized crime reaches out and slaps it down. Yeah, that sounds like a story or two there we should be telling at CT. That's really courageous of those those pastors to do that. Wow. Colombia was also on the list. Why is that? Yeah, also uh, having to do with drug cartels. So Mexico and Colombia, both on the list, both for the same reason, slightly different manifestations, but the same idea that organized crime, which is often preached against in these churches, uh, reaches out, attacks the churches, attacks pastors. So we were talking earlier in this conversation about American or North American, more broadly Christians, getting involved and speaking out on behalf of their brothers and sisters. I'm wondering, what is the level of advocacy or protest that you guys recommend that North American Christians do that want to speak out more about this? Well, what we recommend at a base level is every church needs to be praying through this list, talking about it, uh, using social media to let uh, people know 
when there there are points of interest when the uh, we also have many letter writing campaigns to uh, the administration on particular issues when pastors are arrested but also just you know when we met with the Trump transition team yesterday as I mentioned earlier when they begin to get tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of, of responses they're going to take notice of this it's just the reality of it but very few Christians are reaching out and letting the the Trump administration know this is important. We want freedom of religion for Christians around the world. And you look at the top 50 list, there's a lot of people we do business with. Saudi Arabia, not allowed to have a church there, not allowed to read a Bible, not allowed to decide for yourself if you want to go to church, you know, study the words of Jesus. You can't do it. We do trillions of dollars of, of trade with them. India, China, you just go down the list. So let's be heard on this issue. And we make it easy in that we have these letter writing campaigns and these sorts of things and just share stories. I would love for people to be going on, seeing the videos, hearing the stories of the lives that are touched by persecution and what good things are happening in the midst of it. Before we leave, I'm just looking at these 50 countries again, and I'm wondering if you could maybe pick three or four of them that you want to just call out and give people a sense of the situation. You bet. Well, let me talk about Syria for just a minute. Number six on the list, uh, amazing things are happening in Syria. God is strengthening the church of Syria, really reviving the church in Syria. But also a lot of Muslims are, are re-examining their faith because the orthodoxy of the Islamic State has shaken their understanding. And so I think there's a time now where we need to be reaching out to Syrian believers. It's number six on the list. Very dangerous. A lot of believers have left. We see a lot of refugees uh, from Syria, but a, an interesting place and something to be prayerful about. Eritrea is another country in the top 10. It is controlled by Islamic extremist government, Sharia law, but there's a lot of Christians, Orthodox uh, Christians in Eritrea. We need to keep them in prayer. Saudi Arabia is a country I think we have a lot of leverage with. We need to be reaching out. Perhaps the most dramatic place is Nigeria, number 12 on the list, but lots of violence because the country itself is divided. There's a clash of civilizations. You have extremists in the north under Sharia law. You have a large Christian population in the south and in the middle of Nigeria, like the middle band of, of the continent of Africa, of which Nigeria is very representative. You have so many people uh, being hurt by violence against churches, bombing against churches. Uh, more people were uh, killed in Nigeria than any particular place for their faith that we can document. So very, very dangerous. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, David, for being willing to come on and share with us all about that. For everyone who has more questions or wants to follow up somewhere else, you can go on to our, or you can tweet us at CT Podcasts or on, you can go onto our Facebook page at facebook.com slash CT Podcasts and feel free to leave your feedback and ask your questions there. And we'll try to follow up with that in future shows. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, where we take some time for everyone to get to know each other a little bit better and for people to go around the room and share something that is bringing them joy. David, would you be able to tell us what is bringing you joy this week? Part of what's bringing me joy is is uh, in my private life is, is my family. I have two great kids, and we really had a good time over the holidays with them. And so I'm always prayerful about them on a professional level. What brings me joy is, is really I spent time with a Syrian pastor uh, today hearing the stories of how the Syrian church is coming alive. 
how people are sharing their faith. I mean, just refreshing to hear. It's not all bad news. Good things are happening. We often ask people where they can be found online after this podcast. Where would you tell people to go to? OpenDoorsUSA.org is a great place to get uh, information about it, uh, what's going on. You can you reach me there, obviously. And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, David G. Curry, available there. Awesome. Okay, Mark, what about you? Well, my precious moment is not going to happen till tonight. Basically, which will be yesterday, which will be yesterday for those who are listening. <laughs> so I will have had joy by the time the <laughs> listeners listen to this, and that is our brewing theology group will meet for the first time. We haven't met for three or four weeks now over Christmas, where we each read a passage from some theological tome and uh, discuss it, usually over a beer. The requirements of the group are that you have to read the passage under discussion, because I've been in theology groups when people don't read under the passage under discussion and mm -hmm. tend to dominate the conversation, mm -hmm. and you bring a beer to share. What is the passage that you guys are reading? So the book is, yeah, it's by uh, Duke Professor Paul Griffiths, and the book is called Intellectual Appetite, and it sounds very abstract, but it is kind of interesting. It's about the grammar of theology. How do we talk about our faith? No, it actually sounds really interesting. Can you share one thing that you've learn from it? Well, one thing he talks about early on is we assume in our modern age that intellectual curiosity is good in and of itself always. And he makes the argument that in class and Christian theology, there is some curiosity that is good and noble and something we should pursue. There are other types of curiosity that it is actually sinful to pursue. Mark, you are actually an intellectually curious person, and then you put down what you are curious about in the world in a newsletter. Can you tell people where they can subscribe yes, to that? Yes, I do. Pull together a uh, weekly newsletter called The Galley Report, which you can find by going to christianitytoday.com slash Report, and you can receive that for free every week. So something that did bring me joy, kind of, was I attended Obama's farewell address oh, you did. last night. Good for you. And by attended, I mean I stood in line for almost two hours because everyone had to go through airport security in order to get in. And I came in about 15 minutes into his speech. Um, but I was able to get tickets from a friend who does White House communications. And it's interesting. I've, I would say I've never been someone that's been super fanboy about Obama in the way that some people got really, really excited during both things. But I was able to witness two different this moment. And then I actually went to the inauguration in 2008. Um, so it's kind of interesting just to kind of bookend that and be with a bunch of really, really passionate people. I will say the cool thing about it being in Chicago was this was, of course, where the campaign was based from. And so there were a lot of people who I think um, had stronger ties to Obama than when I went to a national event. Yes, I heard it was an inspiring speech. One of the things that I think the president talked a lot about was trying to do something that we do here at CT, which is giving people the benefit of the doubt and trying to really hear what people are saying. He talked about the risk, too, of assuming like best intentions from other people um, and how that can make us vulnerable, but we should do that anyway. Yeah, the summary I heard made me think of the speeches we make here at CT about how to talk with one another, how to have a national conversation, how to have a conversation in the church. Very appropriate. And everyone can find me as well as some pictures from the night. The pictures are pretty far away, guys. I was not up and close and personal. But but you can find that on my Twitter account at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to another episode of the show. This podcast is a production of Christianity Today, and you can find other podcasts by searching iTunes for Christianity Today. If you would like our best offer on Christianity Today, the magazine, you can get that if you go to orderct.com slash quick to listen. And again, you get our lowest priced $10 a year for 10 issues. 
The show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred. And the biggest way to tell us that you like the show is not to go on Twitter and tell us that you like it, though I love it when people do tweet at us and give us some feedback, but it's to go onto iTunes and rate and review the show. See you all next week. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?